Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And I'm Aji. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we all just stand around talking for an hour, because this week we watched Sarcophagus. Written by Tanith Lee. Directed by Fiona Cumming. And aired on March 3rd, 1980. Yeah, so and there's a, a whole lot of other women behind the scenes too. So there's, there's Edwina Craze was a production assistant. Uh, Sheila Rees was a production unit manager. Eileen Staff was the director's assistant. Sheila S. Tomlinson was the film editor. Elizabeth Parker did the sound effects. And Sheila J. Wells was the makeup artist. And Tanith Lee not only wrote the episode, she also wrote Dana's song. And seeing the episode centered around Kelly, it's all girls in the house. Wow. Yeah. Girl power yeah. this week. <laughs> and we're joined also by RG, the first female guest we've had on any of our podcasts. Fun fact. Yay. So how appropriate that it's sarcophagus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how yeah. appropriate. You're breaking down boundaries on our podcast. <laughs> boundaries that never really existed, actually. It was just mostly coincidence that it was all men. And that's not something we're going to get into, but I feel like men seem to dominate the podcasting space. <clears throat> yeah, someone someone once made a joke. They said, what we really need is a podcast with two white guys talking. <laughs> yes, well. <laughs> Whistles inconspicuously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to mention, too, that um, this is actually one of Jan Chappell's favorite episodes. But Stephen Pacey once pointed out, you always like the episodes where you have the most to do. So it's probably no surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Jan also said the script of this episode made it sound a little bit better than it actually turned out being. She she said it was sort of a bit more mystical than it than it ended up being. Mm. Is that one of those things where, like, you know, you read a line and it it's it, it comes off well, and you're like, oh man, that's really cool. And then when it's it's spoken out loud, you're like, oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's the feeling she gave. Although, I was pretty happy with it myself so yeah I, I really enjoyed this one you know, Dylan was a little bit more I think ambivalent towards it <laughs> it, it was right it was alright it wasn't great it wasn't terrible by any means I mean just, it wasn't Volcano I mean uh, yeah, yeah we'll go with that it wasn't Volcano you put this on the same level as, as Volcano no no, no, not even close. Because you hate Volcano. Oh, yeah. I mean, I rewatched Volcano, even though I went back. I rewatched Volcano, and I, I was like, you know, I don't think we gave Volcano. It's it's due. Keon still, yeah, still uh, haven't hasn't rewatched, rewatched it, it so <laughs> he's not going to make a statement like that. But I can say that I don't think we gave it its due, which is, try, which is why I tried the week after to at least make up for that, kind <laughs> of. Anyway. Yeah, so Sarcophagus. I don't know. You know, I don't know if we want to just jump straight into the plot uh, in regards to Doctor Who still airing in the interseason era between series 17, 16 and 17. 17. After Shada would have aired, but before whatever it was that was after Shada. Riboss operation, I think. No, no, that was in season 16. No, 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 that was the start of season uh, 16. I forget. City of Death? No. no City of Death was the second story. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. 17. Uh, okay, well, anyway, it's in the interseason era, but... You know, I don't know if we want to just immediately jump into the plot here, but I was just really tripped out by this whole first opening sequence, just completely. Mm. Well, I was going to actually ask before we start, um, where, do you, where did you get the um, you know production stuff that you had at the beginning of this? Because, you know, making Blake 7 when, when he was on had a lot, but, you know, he has insider information <laughs> that I think a lot of us aren't privy to. But, you know, we don't even have as much 
usually so like if you want to reveal <laughs> where you found yeah, a lot sources. of sources yeah um to be honest a lot of that just came from the wiki mm, okay uh, but a, a lot of the stuff i have i don't always get it exactly right but a lot of the stuff i have in my head is i watch tons and tons and tons of people's convention footage mm -hmm. and i listen to the there's a fantastic series where all the actors are talking about blake seven the making of and i think you should really look at that it goes for I think about four hours, and it, it gives a whole lot of insight into what went on behind the scenes. Um, and I do a lot of reading as well. So the thing about I really wanted to know why Josette Simon was not doing any of the big finish stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's actually really hard to track down information on Josette Simon. I think there's something like two things that pop up when you Google her name. <laughs> um, but, yeah, someone said the reason that she doesn't want to do uh, the stuff is because she – uh, found the role quite sexist and racist when she was looking back on it. So, yeah, that that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you were the first person to point that out to us in an email back uh, right at the start of the season. Actually, it might have actually been Volcano. Yeah, Volcano or Aftermath. Yeah. Or Aftermath. I mean, I want to point out that that's not coming from her. That is secondhand. Mm -hmm. And also, she might have changed her opinion over time as well. Right, because I think Making Blake 7 mentioned that... Uh, at at she, the time she was enjoying it or something like that? Yeah, yeah. that she enjoyed it at the time, and then <clears throat> over time her opinion changed. It's interesting how uh, all of this is just second-hand reports and rumors and unconfirmed statements. <laughs> well, some stuff is first-hand. So right. I, I listen to a lot of Jan Chappelle interviews because I'm just fascinated with Kelly and Jan, therefore, as part of that. Uh, and she has done a lot of different interviews, so she's very easy to get a handle on what she th actually still thinks of things and thought at the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, it's, I think it's uh, also worthwhile to mention that you, one of the only people, I think probably the only person so far we've encountered on this podcast who's been in correspondence with us who watched Blake 7 when it originally aired back in the 70s and the 80s. I guess yeah, the so I was... I was about – I didn't – I don't think I caught the actual first run, but it ran straight away after it. Mm -hmm. And I was baby, a babysitter and I we didn't have Netflix and stuff in those days. So it was just the dark what, ages I, what was all. on. Yeah, the dark ages. <laughs> so it, it was what was on. So I flicked around to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation channel, ABC, mm -hmm. and there was this show, Blake 7, and I watched it and it just freaked me out. And I went, oh, I want more of this. So um, I started to watch it regularly. And it was fantastic. And it was it was something completely different. I mean, we had Doctor Who, but right. this was much darker than Doctor Who and more adult. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd go to school, the high school the next day, and you'd say to all your friends, oh, did you see what happened with Avon last week? And yeah. Well, so you watched it on Australia. Did, did it air then around the same time that it aired, I assume, in, in the UK then? So like this aired in March of 1980? Yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got it um, probably about a week or two after they did. Okay. Interesting. It might have been exactly the same time. I can't be exact on that. But, uh, yeah, but it was I know around the, the same time, basically. Yeah, oh, definitely around the same time, yeah. Gotcha. And yeah. it was fairly – it was towards the later end of the night because it wasn't child-friendly. <laughs> In the uh, the adult programming block. <laughs> yeah. So there was like – 
I don't think you can put this on in your podcast, but there was a channel. We've got a channel called SBS, which is a more ethnic station, mm-hmm. and they would show like French porn movies. <laughs> so it was either when I was babysitting, it was either French porn movies or Blake Seven. So the choice so you, chose, you chose Blake Seven over well, the. It was more interesting to me. I mean, you've seen one porn movie, you've seen them all. <laughs> I guess. I can't confirm nor deny. Input on that, but um, but yeah, no, that's that's I think something that we've sort of lost over time. As you know, like you mentioned, things like Netflix or just you know instant access to whatever you want via the internet, pretty much has become the norm. Um, right? Is that like you know you you watch the show and you're like, oh man, I discovered like something really cool, and then you go tell your friends and stuff like that, and it's almost yeah, this and elusive you had to thing. wait to find out what was going to happen next in the story. You didn't know. Right. Well, I think it just goes to this uh, acceleration of society, I think, because everything's just quicker now. I mean, you can still talk to your friends about whatever show it is. Like, you know, when Stranger Things drops, you know, mm. dropped, everybody was like, oh, man, this is great. And then everybody just immediately goes online or on their phones and they text their friends like, hey, have you seen X, Y, and Z? I mean, you're still talking with your friends. It's just not like you're waiting till the next day to go to school to talk with your friends at lunch about what happened last night. It's like, let's talk about the entire series right now as soon yeah. as it's come out. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing with how a lot of, you know, streaming services or just like if you're watching older stuff that's, you know, it's all available online, just the immediate access to everything. There's like not really much room for speculation anymore. I mean, unless you try and spread it out, like I guess we're trying to do for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't know if everyone um, who's listening knows this, but you can watch every single episode of Blake 7 on a certain, let's say, tubing for you (laughs) channel. (laughs) Yeah, we. So we, you've got no reason not to watch it, basically. We like try to make oblique references to it because we got an email way <laughs> back at the the start of the podcast. It was like, better not mention the, and then we just beeped it out. And he's like, because the BBC might take it down. I don't know if the BBC knows about the beep because <laughs> that red and white colored site. <laughs> yeah, that red and white colored site that uh, conspicuously has every episode of Blake Seven. Well, I don't know if you realize they do special openings before the actual opening to try to subvert that kind yes. of thing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just a bummer that the BBC hasn't released Blake 7 on DVD and in, in, uh, or Blu-ray in America. And snap, yeah. I mean, snap I've got, I've got it on DVD, but it's uh, actually, it's weird. It's a German DVD, <laughs> but it's all in English. And <laughs> you can turn off the German subtitles. Hmm. Well, I mean, whatever works, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just prefer like physical copies of of things, because you never know when your internet's yeah, going to go down, or, or when, or when uh, you know. That's the other thing about these streaming platforms is that like if if they go out of business or whatever, then all that content that's there that just goes away, that just yeah. vanishes into the ether unless you have like a super totally legal source <laughs> for it. Some streaming platforms have actually tried to slow down the the speed of information by releasing episodes weekly again, like uh, CBS, their streaming platform, when they released Star Trek Discovery, they did one episode a week, still like traditional television, even though it was a streaming-only show. That's Mm. nice. So it's interesting. There are some platforms out there that are trying to, I guess, still recapture that television magic. (laughs) You know what I'm most excited about this episode? Oh, sorry. No, no, Um, go 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 ahead. Go on, go on. The the thing that's most exciting about this episode where just about to talk about is that we get another pet rock oh you're right we did yeah i noted that <laughs> i thought it was a moon disc at first but 
I mean, well, that's actually a good segue to just go ahead and, and get right into the opening sequence that I mentioned. Just really tripped me out because I had no idea what was going on here. Oh, this, this is my favorite scene in all of Wake 7. <laughs> well, of course it is because it's weird and you don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that actually, that kind of encapsulates this whole episode. This episode brought sort of a, an ambiguity, I think, to Blake 7 that not a lot of episodes have have really captured, um, which isn't a bad thing, but it, it's just something I enjoyed. When I first started to re-watch this, I thought, okay, we've stumbled onto some sort of future version of Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> and, and, I, and I thought, I feel kind of sorry for the final competitor who we later learn is Taryn, because I feel like they said to the actors, okay, what interesting skills do you have? And Michael Keating said he could do magic, and Josette Simon said she could sing. And Stephen Payasi said, I can do some sort of macho posing. <laughs> So, something for the girls, I think. Something for the girls he sold it as. Well, let's cut him a break. He's only 22. He no has excuses. Hasn't fully developed his talent set. It's not like he can go out there and be like, I'm 22 and I, my skill is podcasting. I can po- oh, podcast. <laughs> Just twist the knife, why don't you? <laughs> Self-deprecating humor is the best kind of humor. But no, it sort of reminded me of martial arts type things. I know um, like Taekwondo and a couple other martial arts have have these sort of things where you memorize certain poses and, you know, kicks and punches as part of that. And I was like, okay, it's it's something like that, I guess. I think we find out later that his role is supposed to be to protect, I don't know what you want to call, I've, I've been calling her not Kelly because... <laughs> Because Dana says it was Kelly, but it was not Kelly. So I've just been calling her not Kelly. But I think his role was supposed to be to protect her, she says later. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, that, that, that falls in place with, I forget which story it was, but, you know, they were really, Tarrant was really being called into question a couple weeks ago for, like, not being useful. You know, he was just a pilot. And they're like, well, we can, we're all pretty capable pilots. Yeah. Yeah, well, he does some gesticulating in this episode about trying to take Kamal and Avon, like, just really doesn't react. And we're going to get there because I actually have a couple things I want to say about that whole scene. Yvonne just verbally destroys him. Uh, but we see this uh, alien of some sort doing a thing with a thing. <laughs> they're, they're sort of summoning these these people. Yeah, they're summoning mass- some... I love the costuming in this scene, by the things. way. Yeah. And, I, I love the coloring of this scene because the first shot we get is it's just gray and red. Which I thought was really effective in just establishing how weird this, how weird the scene and whole episode really was going to be. But it's just gray and red, and then you see uh, superimposed on top of that the orange person they summon, and the purple, and then. So I just really liked the colors here. I think the whole costuming of this episode is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, I definitely agree with that, and I just want to also point out, since we're kind of talking about it, this episode felt more low budget than than usual. I don't know if that's just me, but I mean, it looked and the the final product looked pretty great, especially when yeah, I guess not Callie showed up. You know, that entire costume and character were just great. But yeah, there were you know things like the 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 shaking effect where it was just it wasn't done well, and like even the the room they get into you know later with the it's just like party streamer type things and i mean yeah. speaking of the shaking effect did you notice the black bars that appeared at the bottom of yeah. the screen because they didn't yeah. actually shake the camera yeah, they just like moved the footage around that's exactly on screen. what i'm referring to yes 
And I think that's what Jan Chappell might be getting at when she's saying on paper it was presented a bit better than it actually turned out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, because I definitely noticed the low-budget feel of this episode, yeah. <laughs> more so than... Well, I'm also wondering if maybe every now and then on Doctor Who they told them to do an episode that was low-budget because they had to sort of tighten things up a bit. And and this is um, this reminds me of episodes that you... you um, I think the term is in a bottle. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all set on the Liberator. So, oh, well, I mean, apart from the bit they go down to, that, to the uh, sarcophagus, but even that is on a, a sound stage. Right. So they don't have a lot of outdoor work and, you know, this would actually, I think, be fairly tight budget except for the uh, costumes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And that definitely, I think, comes across on screen no matter how much or little they tried to, you know, sort of mask it. Yeah, I think it's referred to as a bottle episode. I think you're right <clears throat> on that aspect. I think that name actually comes from an episode of Star Trek uh, mm. where, where they spend the entire episode on the Enterprise and that's that's the whole episode. It's just on the Enterprise. But I, yeah, I definitely think this falls into that. And I think, like you mentioned, Doctor Who, it's similar to uh, something we encountered in the reboot called like a companion light or a Doctor Light episode, where it's just the Doctor, it's just the companion, and they're typically only in like one location, very low budget, because they only have to budget for either the Doctor or just the companion to appear in the episode, and right. just overall designed to be a cost-saving episode that allows them to spread more of the budget over the rest of the season. Have have you realised that a lot of Blake Seven is utilising Doctor Who scenes that aren't being used anymore? Sets? Have you realised that? No, no yeah, actually, no, no. yeah, because they do a pretty good job of hiding <laughs> the sets or, or it, redressing them, I guess. The one that sticks out to my, the most to me is when they're on the prison ship way back, I think, on episode two. They go into this big white room, and it looks so much like the interior of a TARDIS. Hmm, mm-hmm. that's actually a good point, you know, now that I think about it, thinking, they're drawing deep in my memory of, <laughs> of Spacefall. Uh, that's actually interesting that you mentioned yeah, that. That's when yeah, they're breaking right. into the the computer room, yeah, with, with Avon. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're mm-hmm. right about that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I've not- never gone through and written them all down, but apparently people have noticed that they're using all the, the secondhand sets from Doctor Who. <laughs> Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised because, again, Blake Seven's not a high-budget show. Doctor Who wasn't either to begin with, but, you know, wherever you can cut corners is is beneficial, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, this is the, the to draw the cartoon parallel, I guess, it's the Hanna-Barbera, you know, methodology, right? Like, if it doesn't have to move, it's not moving, right? That was the mm. sort of Scooby-Doo type thing, and, you know, it's it, it's done, in, you know, here as well. Right. In, in, in a live-action space, obviously. Yeah, if we don't need to make something new for it, let's not. Let's put that budget somewhere else. Anyway, um, after this weird opening scene, we we smash cut to Callie in her room. This is the first time I think we actually see Callie's personal quarters on the Liberator. Yeah, let me just go back to that opening scene. Just one more thing I wanted to touch on. I, I thought it was interesting how in this episode... Um, God, what was last week called? I can't even remember. Rumors of Death. Rumors of Death, right. Rumors of Death was all about you know, words, right? And how Servalan and Avon sort of leveraged their their own rhetoric, I guess, differently. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, the episode that directly follows that, it starts with this wordless opening scene. I don't have much more to say mm-hmm. about that. I just wanted to point it out. The other thing I wanted to say is, um, so 
we see the ring being put on someone's fingers in this opening scene, uh, right. and I'm I'm going to guess it's Jan Chapel's hand. She's got extremely long fingernails, and if you have a look later, she's got shorter ones as Callie. So if you're never sure if you're talking to Callie or not Callie, you just look at the length of the fingernails, <laughs> and that'll that'll sort it all out for you. Well, and, also and the just, uh, hair length as well. Oh, hair length, yeah. And going on too from um, when we move from the ship onto. Blake Seven onto the Liberator. I really love that we get this close up of Kelly's eye, mm-hmm. and it's green because all the cool kids have green eyes. Well, uh, and and I, I can say that because I have green eyes. <laughs> yeah, so all the cool kids have green eyes. Well, I was going to say and, just interesting. Actually, I just thought of this now that you brought up that fingernail thing. Like, it's interesting that Kelly's hair and fingernails both are longer. Sorry, not Kelly's hair and fingernails are longer than Kelly's partially because those are the two things that continue to grow after you're dead. They don't immediately stop growing oh, yeah. and die. Interesting. So I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I just thought I'd bring that up because that's kind of interesting. So about apparently about 2% of the population have green eyes. I, I, hmm. Stay with wow. me here. Stay okay, with me here. staying with <laughs> so you. Where are we going with this? When we see Kelly, she's holding a drawing in her left hand. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know if you've noticed that Jan Chapel is actually left-handed. Uh, we didn't notice, but yeah. uh, until uh, I think you, you told us. Yeah, you emailed about it, I think. Oh, yeah. So when she's in the tomb, you'll see, when she's in the sarcophagus, you'll see she's got her gun on her left hip and her teleport bracelet is on her right wrist. And if you mm-hmm. keep watching in later episodes, you'll see she often holds her gun in her left hand. So she does, interestingly, do some things with her right hand in this episode. She grabs her gun at one stage and she presses the buttons on the pet rock with her right hand. But she's definitely left-handed and having both green eyes and being left-handed is extremely rare. Less than 0.25% of the world's population Whoa. or one person in 400 has that combination. Whoa. So she's a very special person. <laughs> she's also not human, so maybe those statistics don't apply to her. I mean, that's uh, a very tr- interesting statistic, but of all the Liberator crew, the only one who isn't human is Callie. True. Not that they ever seem to mention that, except in the story, yeah, actually, I think they mention it. very end. But that well, is actually that, interesting actually? to note, because, yeah, even though Callie's not human, Jan Chapel is. Yeah. <laughs> We're assuming. <laughs> uh, we we assume. <laughs> And she's got green eyes and she's left-handed, so they found a very, very rare combination in this actress, I guess. So we get this shot of Callie's room, and again, I just want to bring up the colors here because her room is lit in orange and green, which is a very unique color combination that I don't think we've ever seen on this show before. And Those are uh, complementary colors, I think. I'm, I'm not I believe 100% sure. so. Uh, but I just wanted to mention, because it is rather rare uh, to see that specific color combination, to see that, to see orange and green together. And I thought it was done really effectively in Callie's quarters. Not to say Callie's quarters looked that comfortable because <laughs> that bed looked legitimately like it was just a brick. <laughs> but uh, I really liked the lighting of her quarters. Now, we bring up reused sets, wasn't this reused from, I forget the episode, but the one where it looks like Avon and Callie are sort of getting it on a little bit and Tarrant comes in, he's like, is this really time for this? Isn't this the same set reuse? Or it looks very similar, I think. So I don't know if that was supposed to be Callie's room or I don't remember what that? that was. Was that the one, that was the one after Volcano, I think? 
That was it. Was um, no, that was Harvest of Kairos, I think. Yeah, it's a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was and, after Volcano. Yeah, Volcano Dawn of the Gods, Harvest of Kairos. And I don't one hundred percent really, you know, remember. It could be. I have to go back and rewatch it. Which didn't you, you know, bring you know up me, Avon and Callie getting it on, considering what happens later in this episode? And hey, then... hey, I know. <laughs> hey, hey, and how good is this little interchange here, uh, Callie? What is it? Well, it looks like a door, and it's closed. <laughs> I know. As soon as I heard Avon say that, I was like, "What? Really, Avon? Really?" And I mean, it's pretty obviously pretty obvious to me here that Avon is talking very differently with Callie than I remember him talking with anyone else. So mm-hmm. he's actually interested in her. They're not in con- in conflict. They stand extremely close at one stage. You can start to feel some sizzle between them. And the way he says demonstrably with such affection is just delicious. Well, also no, that knowing that. look they share at the end of the story. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're getting there. Don't you worry about that. We'll get there. Well, if you know what happens nope. later, which, which I, don't I don't think Dylan does, so no. I won't say anything. I have no this, idea what you're referring to. this is very to. interesting. Yeah. I'm not saying that like, <laughs> I know what's happening. No, I legitimately have no idea what you're talking about. So I've only, uh, there's only two things coming up that I've spoiled. One is how this season ends and one is how the next season ends. And those are the only two things that I know. So Avon's like, hey, we're going to land on this asteroid. And Kelly's like, cool. And then, and then they find the the sarcophagus. It's it's just floating in space, and and uh, they only have you know a, a short window. Uh, or no, actually, the the short window of opportunity is in it's regards for the to asteroid. the asteroid. Yeah. Uh, but Tarrant wants to uh, redirect. He wants to go find out what this thing is. And Avon's like, no, of course not. We can't do that. We need those minerals. Well, Avon makes a good point because he's like, look, any benefit we could get from the sarcophagus is unknown and uncertain. But anything we get from the asteroid we know is there and we already, we already know what we can get from the asteroid plus the, the window of opportunity for the asteroid's closing. We should go for the asteroid. There's a hint at what's going on at the sarcophagus here because immediately the first picture of the sarcophagus is super out of focus and Tarrant mm. is like, not up to your usual standards, Zen. And then he's like, and then he focuses it and corrects it, which is kind of a hint as to what's going on here a little right. bit later, kind of foreshadowing. Also, yep. well, you guys were talking about Callie lying, or I can't remember the exact words you used, but there, was, there were a couple of episodes back where you said Callie was being sort of a bit deceptive. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Dawn of the Gods, right? Yeah, I think it was Dawn of the Gods because, well, this is Keon's opinion. I think it's just a retcon, but let's not get into that whole conversation again. <laughs> Where- well, I was just, just going to mention because it's interesting here that Terrence says something's happened with you, Kelly, and she kind of brushes that off. And I was wondering, does she is she actually lying here or does she not realize that something has communicated telepathically with her? I don't think she's necessarily lying. I think she's just in denial about it. Because when okay. Avon comes into her room, we've got to mention, she's like, oh, I can never go back to Oran. I'll never see it again. Which, whether that's because she's permanently exiled now or because Oran is a dead planet with a virus that kills Oronians or Oranar, or whatever the hell Both. you want to call them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, she can never see her people again. And I think just, frankly, she's in denial about this fact that there's something out there that can communicate with her. There is something that I consider a continuity error in this because both Avon and Callie are like, well, only other Aurons can communicate with with Aurons like Callie, which is in direct contention with Shadow, 
where we see not only the moon disks but also uh, uh, whatever that being whatever was. the being from the from the shadow dimension was communicate with Callie and also Dawn of the Gods where uh, the god whose name I'm forgetting right. communicates with Callie. Yeah, they, they, but yeah, sorry, go on, go on. I was just going to say, Dana does address that, though, because she says, now, I, I didn't pay attention a lot in this part, but I remember Dana saying something like, oh, but you are you can sense other stuff, Callie. Yeah, she, she said, she kind of, I, yeah. I actually remember what you were talking about. Dana, Dana says, well, sometimes you can read our minds. And then she says, yeah. well, yeah, I can read your minds, but only Orions can communicate with me, which is why I'm saying it's, it's, a, it's kind of a continuity error because... You know, this being in shadow and the god and dawn of the mm. gods both communicate directly with Kali. Mm. The god and dawn of the gods you can write off because he's an Oron god, and technically that still falls under the purview of Orons, I guess. And, well, here's the thing: in this, when they first bring this up, they say normally, you know, normally only Orons can contact other Orons, and then mm -hmm. later on, you know, there's a couple, maybe two or three other times that they bring this up. They don't say normally. Yeah. When they first bring it up, they do say normally. So that's why, you know, when you put this, this sort of puts. Or for me, at least, it put Shadow and Dawn of the Gods like in perspective that, you know, these beings are really powerful, right? Like this entity or whatever from Shadow was able to contact Kali when normally that wouldn't be possible. Well, the other thing is that not Kali does say to Tarrant that she's using the energy from the Liberated to sort of allow her to, to you know, talk directly with Kali and influence her. So she's kind of getting a boost to her abilities like that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so she first makes psychic contact with Callie now and they beam over and something weird happens when they beam over because Avon and Callie and Villa all go over. Dana stays behind to operate the teleport. Tarrant stays her back on the ship to just be a, a pompous well, little a-hole. <laughs> Avon sort of oh, tells Tarrant. him off here. Well, yeah, so this is the scene that I, I had quite a few things I wanted to say about because Tarrant basically talks about how Avon thought he was going to be the sole commander of the Liberator now that Blake's gone and and uh, Avon just basically has no reaction to this whole thing and, and just very dryly tells Tarrant off and I wanted to just talk about how this just shows like how in control Avon actually is that he doesn't even consider Tarrant a threat he never raises his voice during this conversation at all he barely even looks at Tarrant or considers him like even to be there at all and all of his tell-offs are just like one sentence long and completely just annihilate everything Tarrant is saying. <laughs> like, it's really obvious that Avon doesn't even consider Tarrant a threat at this point, which I thought was really interesting and really well acted by by both Pacey and, and Darrow in this scene, I right. think. And then Dana steps in and is like, what are you guys doing? You're going to slit each other's throats? Avon's like, yeah, no, not worth it. <laughs> Essentially, in essence, he doesn't say that exactly. I think what bothers me about this, this scene is that it's obviously everybody wear grey day, but no one told Avon. <laughs> well, that's possibly a costuming decision to show that Avon is kind of in control of the Liberator, even if Tarrant seems to think he has power. Possibly the reason why Tarrant is so emboldened here is because everybody else decides to go along with Tarrant and go for the sarcophagus, except for Avon, really. But that's the thing, and is I, it... I, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I, I really like the um, the costumes that all the... the crew are wearing in this episode i think they look really good mm -hmm. except for villas which looks like a full-length tracksuit with some weird shoulder pad sewn on the outside of it so that one doesn't work for me but i also really like kelly's necklace and just throughout the series i love that dana always wears her father's medallion and it keeps that rage at serverland constantly in view and it's a real thread throughout this whole series right i mean i noticed that the colors that all these people are wearing on the Liberator flight deck right now 
are the same colors that they get dressed in or at least similar when they get transformed into their uh, i guess alternate personas by the by the alien by not cali like villa's shoulder pads right now are accented in orange and when he becomes the fool he he gets turned orange and dana's dress is is blue and when she gets turned into the the harpist her outfit is blue tarrant red you know sort of same thing, red. Those red shoulder things whatever they were <laughs> So that's that's interesting. I hadn't picked that up, but yeah, you you're spot on. So there's like costume continuity there going on. There's a lot of actually clever things going on in this story. But yeah, when they beam over, Avon comes in late, and Villa ends up like upside down almost. <laughs> they're like, well, wow, that's kind of weird. It's really strange because they do say he 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 comes in, you know, materializes upside down. But it, uh, the way it's achieved is that he just sort of stands there for one or two seconds and then pretends to slip, and it doesn't. <laughs> come off all that great but you know yeah, whatever it's a minor nitpick i guess it's a really clever start to the the story the main grist of the story i think just really really simple that mm-hmm. someone arrives first and the others arrive second but if you know the series well you kind of go oh there's something strange here right right because you've never seen anything buggery with the liberator teleport before i mean not that it couldn't happen because <laughs> Zen seems to get increasingly less reliable as the weeks go on. We haven't really pointed this out, but he seems to uh, have more and more questionable things going on. Which is a, it's, a, it's a real bummer, actually, that we never learn more about Zen and that whole telepathic thing that they introduced in the first episode that he showed up in and then never talked about again. I think there is a there's an episode in one of the earlier series where Villa does fall over when he lands from memory. I couldn't tell you mm-hmm. which one it was, but I do remember something like that. But it's certainly not a common thing. Right. Mm. I mean, and again, this is Villa quote falling over, unquote. But Avon's like, Villa came in nearly on his head. So a <laughs> yeah. uh, big question mark there. So they're in this sort of chamber, tomb. tomb. Uh, there's dust and cobwebs, I guess, everywhere. Everything looks disused. There's some confetti in the background. and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think they even pointed out in the dialogue, right? You know, someone, they mentioned these sort of streamer type things. And they're like, what, was someone throwing a party? Or there's some line, something like that, if I remember right. correctly. Um, but this is sort of, I mean, the episode's called Sarcophagus, right? This is uh, like ancient Egyptian-like, right? They're buried right. with all this, with all their stuff they had in life and with all this, uh, you know, festive type stuff, I guess. It, it's not the first time we've had ancient Egypt as an aesthetic on Blake 7. <laughs> If you'll remember that paragon of television volcano, uh, the underground <laughs> lair of the uh, of the uh, not the rebels, but like the people who inhabited the planet Obsidian, the Obsidian, uh, the Obsidian Knights, or whatever they wanted to be called, their kind of underground area was very Egyptian-like, with right. columns that had hieroglyphics carved into them. Right. Uh, it's interesting that Blake Seven brings back a lot of these ancient cultures. Like in Bounty, we got that medieval castle that. The, the governor stayed in and in and there was the one with the thane hall also, um yeah the, i forget what that one was called yeah that was the one last season with travis and the space vikings that we yeah. call them <laughs> i want to bring up what the name of that episode is the keeper yes the keeper so it's interesting that blake seven's bringing back all these even for us ancient cultures and then implying that i guess at some point in the future they have some sort of resurgence i guess <laughs> medieval chic egyptian chic i know you know the show i don't think ever dates when all this is taking place but i think the audios do put a date on all this i'm not entirely sure though 
as far as we get for dates is like, oh, that happened six months ago, or that happened a year ago. No, but I mean, like, we only get relative is, dates. We never get like this exact is a year dates. blank, yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. So they sort of they they investigate this room for a little bit. They find sort of this what looks like an egg on a pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> pet, pet, pet rock yeah. number two. Yeah. Yeah. So Callie's like, we're gonna take this back, and Avon and Villa like, well, Villa's really into it because like gems. Yeah, I heard there were gems. Well, <laughs> they find a dead body, and Villa, you know, gets as far away as he can from it, and then they they point out that there are gems, and they're like, they look priceless, and he's like, oh, let me in on that. <laughs> what priceless gems? <laughs> Hang on a minute. And when they beam out, because the ship's blowing up now, Zen's like, there's an energy buildup. you got to get out of there. And then they beam out, but only well, Callie on, beams on. out. Hang on, though. You've got to re- um, remember that Kelly takes the ring off the corpse, because that's pretty important. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Also, the fact that she shoots nobody. And Avon's like, what the <laughs> hell was that? <laughs> Callie's like, uh, uh, saw someone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it wasn't Kelly, because she shot with her right hand. So maybe it was not Kelly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Suspicious. Suspicious. Yeah, what? Yeah, she was trying to kill Avon at first. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, not Callie some... was trying to kill Avon at first because only Callie's allowed to beam out, and Avon and Villa are left on the ship. Yes. But Callie goes back for them. Uh, apparently, the sarcophagus has this ability to block teleports, I guess. <laughs> but Callie goes back for them and grabs their arms, and then. Not Callie, we find out later, had to allow them through because if they didn't, then Callie would die as well. But she needed Callie to create the psychic link and basically come back to life. But how awesome is it that Callie actually puts herself at risk because they're counting down mm-hmm. and she goes back and saves her mates. I just think that's that just shows such integrity with the character. Yeah, right. the, this scene was awesome. Like just even just the tension of it, right? That she has ten. They they have thirty seconds, and they discuss this thing for twenty seconds. Like, are we going back or not? And then when <laughs> once they hit the ten second mark, they're like, "All right, we're doing it." And Callie goes back down. Yeah, Zen's like, "You got thirty seconds left," and then they talk, and then he's like, "Okay, ten, nine. <laughs> and then Dana's like, "Okay, okay, I'll send you back." And this is something I've been mentioning for the past couple of weeks, but Callie is basically, you know, becoming, if not. You know, she's she's already, I'll say, become my favorite character. Uh, Avon's still my favorite character. <laughs> I'm on that Avon train all the way. <laughs> I, I think Avon is, you know, the most the most well liked character, and I, and I can see why. Um, he's awesome. <laughs> Love Avon. But yeah, still still holding out with Callie here. <laughs> I find Avon intriguing. I feel Callie is a bit warmer than Avon. To me, Avon keeps very much to himself and is very sarcastic, whereas Callie's quite a warm type of person. And so to me, I think that helps to make her my favourite. Also, though, I wanted to have my hair like hers so badly in the 80s. I just I wanted that perm look and I wasn't allowed because it was expensive. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, yeah, I want that hair. Well, did you ever get that hair, I guess, is the next question? I, I, interestingly enough, I did get that hair for my wedding, which was a little bit later on. But yeah, I had long permed hair for my wedding. Oh, there so you eventually, go. Nice. I got the Cali look. You got that Cali look down. Yes. Like you said in your very first email, you became more of a Cali type than a. I think you said than a Jenna because at the time we were in the series A, I think. I said I'd love to. I'd love to be Serverland, but I'm really more of a Cali. <laughs> Serverland with a very short. Hair and a 
white oh, she, outfits. She's just how cool is she? I mean, come on, she's she's one of the coolest things. We don't I've even ever see in this story, or any no. mention of the Federation at all, actually. No, so yeah, and, and then you th- you thought I was a bloke. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, because <laughs> I deliberately picked women so you might get the the thought I was female. But yeah, you know, hats off to you guys that you didn't automatically assume someone would be female just because they liked females. I thought that was great. Oh well, hats off to us. <laughs> or you can say that we're incredibly dense. I mean, there's two different ways you could take that. <laughs> So I, when they beam back up, I just absolutely love how disgusted Callie is when Villa jokes that he never realised she felt this way about him. It's just a real <laughs> touch. You know, I, I think that's great. Villa's definitely becoming quickly becoming the funny, my favourite character for comic relief. Anyway, the funniest character, especially last oh, week when that smash cut to him, <laughs> smash cut to him with a massive <laughs> decanter <laughs> of, of Soma, Soma yes. at the teleport. I want to mention the other thing that's worth a mention. Sorry, no, go um, ahead. Is I think the model work is actually really good on this show. So when they blow up the sarcophagus, mm-hmm. um, I think the sarcophagus itself looked fantastic, but the blowing up of it just looks amazing. Oh, I agree. the The explosion was fantastic. I think all the actual like, uh, what's the practical effects work in this story? I think are fantastic with the the liberator flight deck catching on fire and the consoles blowing up. I think all of that was done really well as well. Right, and just just to move that away from this story in particular for for a second, um, I know Making Blake Seven on Twitter recently posted about um, you know the making of Weapon, and mm-hmm. I remember if I remember correctly, I think we Dylan and I said that the when the ship in that episode blows up, it looks like it's stock footage, right? But it's actually not. It's it was done for the episode, and it just looks that good. Um, and it was you know they actually did you know blow up the model and stuff like that, and it looked great. Just wanted to bring that up because. It's been on my mind recently. Anyway, I wanted to mention when they teleport back what looks to be almost a costuming error because I, I noticed this and I wasn't sure if I, my eyes were deceiving me or if this was just, just a mistake, but it didn't look like everyone was wearing a, a Liberator bracelet, a teleporter bracelet, uh, immediately after they teleport back and then we cut to uh, Dana or Tarrant and they say something when we cut back and Avon's taking off the bracelet and I was like, wait, where'd the bracelet come from? Because it looked like when he teleported in that he, he wasn't wearing a bracelet. Huh. Yeah, it might have been. might have been an error there. And also Callie then chastises Avon. She goes off on Avon for, like, going over the sarcophagus. And I was like, why are you chastising Avon? It was Terrence's idea to go over the sarcophagus. <laughs> Avon just wanted to go to the freaking asteroid. Well, Terrence just standing in the background going, awkward. Just <laughs> covering his face with his hand. Uh, but here's, here's the thing about this episode is that you can really tell the order in which I guess a lot of these things were done because of things like, you know, they paint the the prop for the the rock. They, you know, Callie's costuming, you know, there's there's those interspliced scenes where it's Callie in a coma and she's tossing and turning on her bed, but then there's also not Callie in the other room and you can sort of tell, right, these weren't, you know, done chronologically, right? And then the they paint the the rock on the, or the egg thing or whatever you want to call it. So you can sort of almost piece together how this was done in, you know, in what order. Right. Which is interesting. Well, so we get... Uh, the Liberator crew does what they always do when they find something they don't understand. They just hook Orak up to it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they hook Orak up to this egg. And then Orak's like, no, no, disconnect, disconnect. And Taren's like, what the hell? He's like, disconnect. And then Taren's like, oh shit, it's going to blow up. And so they dive 
they they dive behind i guess the couch that <laughs> appears on the the bridge of the liberator and the egg like melts and kind of blows up yeah this looks really cool okay so first thing um we see that kelly has taken the the ring back with her and she's the first person um that we actually see that was represented in the earlier dream sequence mm-hmm. i thought that was interesting the other thing i noticed that people keep putting each other down a lot in this episode so Dana puts down Villa, Aaron, Avon puts down Tarrant, Tarrant puts down Kelly, Kelly puts down Tarrant, Tarrant puts down Avon. Um, all, all before this has happened, there's a lot of interaction. The other thing I want to know is who actually cleaned off the pet rock? Probably Villa. Yeah, yeah. that's what would be my guess. Yeah, probably. The other thing is um, Dana, Dana says to Avon um, if any of the buttons respond, and he presses half of them and goes, no. Like, he just couldn't even be bothered. No. He just... And then... Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so, in the middle of Tarrant dressing Avon down is when Kelly walks over, presses the buttons, and walks off. And later on, we find out she's been caused to press them in the correct sequence, which I, I found a little bit interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I picked up on that, Yeah, actually. I didn't pick up on that either. Uh, that's interesting, so, actually. Not, not Kelly, I think, mentions it a bit later that she got her to do that. Classic not Kelly taking over the bird through Kelly. Who else but not Kelly? Well, I wish they had actually given this entity a name because they don't ever give it a name. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think that's just indicative of the fact that the Liberator crew doesn't know what it is, so they... And then they really get an opportunity to confront it and be like, what's your name? Or to give it a name. It does give it its whole, you know, sort of backstory type thing. It's like, I'm trying to get back to my planet and, and you know, a couple other things as well. Right. If you, if you like, I went through, because I was curious about this. So obviously everyone is standing for something um, in this story. And I thought, I wonder if this matches up with tarot cards at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it does. So if you prefer to, then rather than calling her not Kelly, we can call her the High Priestess. Because to me, this is how they lined up, that Kelly is the High Priestess. I, I, earlier you said Villa is the fool, but I actually think he's the magician. Mm-hmm. Tarrant is strength because he's to be the protector. Avon is death because he's the one that actually ends up killing the High Priestess. And the Dana one was really tricky because there's nothing to do with a lie or anything like that in tarot. However, there is a card which has a musical instrument on, which is the trumpet, and it's called Judgment. And Villa goes on at Dana at one point where he says, you're always getting at me. Now, I find that interesting as to why he said that, but if they want to make Dana match up with Judgment, that actually makes sense. And then it also actually makes sense why Avon's wearing black then, because death (laughs) is typically represented in all black. True. In most cultures anyway, death is represented by black. So if you want to call her the High Priestess, maybe that's easier than not Kelly. <laughs> It'd be probably less confusing <laughs> if we're going to be uh, honest here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I would have never like made that connection. Yeah, no, neither would I. Neither would I. But it makes sense. I mean, I can see it. Uh, honestly, uh, but basically, this is the point where everything goes to to pot. Really, uh, Kelly enters a coma, and everyone else is like, "What's going on?" Callie's in a coma. And uh, they leave Villa on the flight deck to, to guard, I guess. Well, Zen gives this report, and his voice sounds a little off, but he says something has come aboard the Liberator. 
Yeah, we write、um, as he kind of dies. He's like, oh, losing power, power surge. And this is kind of sensors indicate something is on board, and then it dies. He dies. Yeah, you know, we always mention how they don't. They brought up like how Zen is sort of you know telepathic and stuff like that, and they never really did anything with it. This is them kind of at least in some capacity doing something with it,、mm. a little bit like the least capacity to which they could like you know go, but still, kind of. <laughs> It's, you know, I I really hope that was Josette Simon singing.、Mm-hmm. I really hope it was. I, I've tried to find out, but I can't. Maybe the fellow from behind the scenes can do that. Making Blake Seven. Yeah, in like yeah, a year. <laughs> oh man. Let's <laughs> just send、oh, him a yeah, message on、uh, Twitter, like, "Hey John, can you、uh, confirm or deny? <laughs> do us a favor. <laughs> you do us a favor." The other thing I, I mentioned、um, a long time ago in an email that. Callie's loneliness is brought out as early as Mission to Destiny, and we actually hear something speaking to Callie, and it actually speaks to her about loneliness and being cut off from her people.、Mm-hmm. So it references that Mission to Destiny thing where she woke up and she was thinking alone, and it also mentions the fact that she's just lost all her people in Children of、um, Aaron.、Mm-hmm. So it, to me, these threads of Callie are always coming through the series. Yeah, and and, and I think that's the thing,、um, and I think that's why a lot of Blake Seven as a whole is, you know, so good because you know, as as individual, as almost episodic as these stories are, there are always these sort of threads. Not only the plot threads of you know looking for Star One and stuff like that, but when you really go back and watch, there are these things you can put together, like Callie's loneliness, or、um, there, you know, there are a couple others as well. Right, Gan's uselessness. <laughs> That's an important one. <laughs> oh, Gan. It's funny. I hated Gan as a character, but when he left, I loved him. <laughs> I kept missing him. I kept thinking, "Where's the muscle?" Yeah,、well, I loved Gan and still miss him. So. <laughs> right, and Villa is left on the flight deck, also alone. Alone.、Uh, he says he says he hopes. <laughs> <laughs> he starts doing magic for no audience. Now we've we've、uh, we've wanted a laugh track on Blake's quote unquote wanted a laugh. <laughs> Track on Blake Seven for a while, and this one has I don't know a clap track. Is yeah, that what you would call it? That's what I wrote on my notes. A clap track with a question mark. Applause track. Yeah, applause, right, applause track. Because he does a magic trick, and then we just get a track. And I was like, uh, and I couldn't tell if that was like out of universe or in universe. But Villa seems surprised by this because then he goes like. I, as the master of magic, command you to float, and then it starts floating. He's like, "Whoa, what the hell!" <laughs> It's great, though. His performance is great. His magic is so well, yeah, not、hard. not so good. But, <laughs> well, but it's makes... more that he's got you know performing to the crowd. I just liked that. The crowd, quote unquote, <laughs>、uh, and he's like, "Wow, this is really weird." Because he commands also the、uh, there's a. What looks like a Fender Stratocaster chopped off at the neck,、uh, sitting on the yeah. That's that's Dana's sort of wire. Yeah, she was tuning it earlier, actually. And he commands it to play, and it starts playing, and he's like,、um, uh, <laughs> "But this is a this is a space lyre, courtesy of Terry Nation, right? Because because <laughs> the sound it makes isn't it's it's not something you would expect. I think right." No, and Villa was actually drinking something earlier, and I think it's safe now to say it was obviously Soma. Probably, <laughs> it's Villa. 
Pretty and, sure the entire supply of Soma goes down his throat. And with Cali out of commission, you know, there's no one to tell him off for it, so. <laughs> and so too much Soma leads to visions of floating lies. Possibly. Maybe the whole thing, the whole story is just a fever dream in Villa's <laughs> mind. Because <laughs> he's drugged out on Soma. Anyway, it's revealed that Dana is, I guess, the the harpist or the... Right, is this where we get Dana's sort of, you know, the, the vocal song interlude type thing? Yeah, I believe I, so. Just before that, there is something we've missed too. Um, and that is, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're female adventuring through space, the regulation shoe to wear is extremely high heels. <laughs> Because Dana keeps running around in these high heels, but how good? Josette Diamond, uh, sorry, Josette Simon does the best bloody action pose of the series. Mm-hmm. When she's in the hallway and Tarrant comes down and she just kind of does a, uh, what would you call it, like a kung fu type pose. Mm-hmm. Looks fantastic, I think, and in right. heels. Well, yeah, she's running in heels, which already is just impressive to me because how the hell do you run in those things? <laughs> Tell me this, how is Tarrant holding two guns and wearing a third when it was established early on that if you try to take a second gun, it would burn your hand? So yeah. that seems yeah. to have just gone out the window. Yeah, I think that's, I think we mentioned that probably near the end of Series A that they kind of just abandoned that. They kind oh, of abandoned the treasure room sad, too. Because Where's the damn treasure room? <laughs> no, I actually, I really like the you can only take one gun at a time thing and they kind of just threw it away. They did yeah, bring it up again to... later on, though, I remember them. I, yeah, they did bring that up again, and then we brought that up, that they brought it up again, because we said, that, hey, they abandoned this for a while, and now they're bringing it back, and now they're obviously abandoning it again. And maybe yeah. Avon reprogrammed the computer to make it all just work better. Yes, well, maybe Avon has been digging around in the source code, so to speak. <laughs> He's been I don't trying really to... Like, um, I don't really like the bit where Villa and Dana interact, because I think that could have been done better. Uh, the one right now where Villa's like, whoa, what's going what? on? And Dana's like, you're doing a thing. And <laughs> that's the worst explanation in existence of what happened. Yeah. And I think this is where he says, you're always getting at me. And I found it interesting because Dana actually was having a go at Villa earlier when he lost the game to Avon. Oh, man, I just lost the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we've lost the game now. Yeah, um, but yeah, Villa, uh, Dana made some comment like, you're always a loser or we'll put you down on the next planet or something like that. Right. Well, I mean, it's like you said, everybody's just putting down everybody else in the story. Maybe that's the influence of the the alien creature, the high priestess, as, he, as I guess we're calling her now. Although, interestingly, the high priestess does mention to Tarrant in a little bit, but I'm bringing it up now because I might forget. Uh, the thing that Avon mentioned, or that Villa mentioned to Avon that he bought his rank and that he's actually a lot smarter than his rank says he is. Right. Yes. Because he says he's a Delta grade idiot and the high priestess is like, Villa here is actually like pretty much the smartest dude on the ship, but he pretends to be an idiot. And Tan's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I absolutely love that too. Yeah. I did write, he has very high IQ and yet he acts like an imbecile. Right. That was it. That was the exact line. And Tan yeah. was like, I don't buy it. And she's like, well, you should because it's true. Yeah, I, I love this as well. And and Villa is really sort of the one who, he makes it through everything, right? He survives everything. He gets put in all these situations and really just thrown along. And he sort of goes along with 
everyone when he can, when, as long as he's not being forced to, you know, open a lock or, you know, whatever the case may be. He He's sort of just there, and that's almost like how he survives, right? Mm-hmm. And Villa is in every single episode of Blake 7. Yes. Right. He's the only character to be in every episode. Uh, I'm not sure, but it might be because I know Callie wasn't. Well, Avon and I, wasn't obviously in. Obviously, Dana and Taron. Well, Avon wasn't in. Avon wasn't in the way back. In the way back, so. Well, there you go. So he's probably the only one because the only other ones are Blake and um, Jenna. Yeah, and, oh, and yeah. Jenna disappears off screen and so does Blake. Yeah, so. he, here's the thing about this episode, too, is there's a line from Avon where he goes something else to chase. That's earlier on when they decide they want to go figure out or they want to go investigate the sarcophagus. Yeah. And made me realize that they've pretty much abandoned looking for Blake at this point. They, it's not really been mentioned for a couple weeks at least. But you do realize that that line was actually said earlier to Callie. Because he said, um, he said, we're going to go and do something. And Callie says, oh, something else to chase, I suppose. Oh, really? I didn't pick up on mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, Avon also shows emotion to Callie for the first time in like existence at the beginning of the story because he says to Callie, like, oh, regret is part of being alive. I mean, a mm. small part, but regret is part of being alive. And Callie's like, is that how you stay alive? And he's like, partially. And this is coming right after Anna <clears throat> died, so. Right. It's interesting. But then, yeah, so Tarrant comes in now. Villa's been <laughs> captured. Dana's been well, captured. Before that. So Jan Chapel gets paid to sleep for a bit. Oh, right, Jan, Jan Chapel. And then Josette Simon gets paid to violently shake her. <laughs> yeah, and then Jan Chapel gets paid to not react to the violent shaking. That's the most <laughs> difficult thing in the whole story. The other thing I noticed at this stage is that there's a lot of talk about electricity in different ways. So Zen says at one point there's been a momentary increase in energy in the area of the flight deck. Dana says she's been feeling static electricity. Mm-hmm. And Villa mentions he has pins and needles twice. Right. So there's just a lot of this talk. And it fits in later when um, the high priestess says that basically she's been using the energy of the ship to magnify her powers. Right, she's been drawing power from Zen and the Liberator to amplify her powers. And Callie. Because I think she reveals that she's, that to humans, death is just death. But to her species, they can, like, draw power and come back to life. She calls it an interim stage. Yeah. Yeah. And she can come back to life. And that's what she's trying to do now. She just needs to get all the energy. And now Jane Chappell's fingernails grow super long. (laughs) Right, and her hair grows super long as well. Yes. And she's in probably, the, I think, the best costume that's in this episode. Oh, mate. <laughs> this if, massive, over-the-top, Cirque du Soleil-style <laughs> uh, costume. And even the hair works, because really, you'd think the hair would be silly looking like that, but it actually looks fantastic, I think. Yeah, no, I think it works really well. Right, she sort of has these long, um, I don't know what you would call them, locks? I guess <laughs> just, just locks coming you know, down mm. you know, on the sides. And it, it's, it's a little off-putting, actually, because... You know, this is Jan Chapel's face, who, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, since, you know, we've been watching this show from the beginning, you know, you, you immediately associate that with Callie. But this is obviously, it's, you know, looks like Callie, but like there's, there's just these, there are these things about it that are, they're off that. I mean, it's like in Children of Auron when we meet Zelda, Callie's twin sister, who's never been yeah, mentioned before right. and is never mentioned again and who looks exactly <laughs> like Callie. But there's also the the I think the first the first time you see the high priestess is her hand brushing against Villa's shoulder, and that was so yes. cre- that was creepy to me. That mm-hmm. was very creepy and it worked really well. And then you sort of pan over and you see her. 
Well, they dim the lights on the flight deck uh, when they're filming, which I think is really effective as well. It makes the, it look really dark and ominous and scary because all the energy is being drawn out to the high priestess. But the lights are dim and, and there's no, barely any light uh, except for these weird orange lights on the side. And it looks very atmospheric and creepy. What I find really interesting is that at a convention, Jan Chappell said that she played Zelda to be a bit weak because she wanted people to love Callie in, in you know, comparison to her. But I don't think that's happening here. I think with the High Priestess, she just goes all out. And um, we can see her expert acting ability. So she go- has a long scene where she's got to present a lot of exposition, but she manages to do interesting things with her face. And if you watch her throughout the series, you'll see that even in scenes where she's just listening to other characters, she'll do that as well. Um, and a bit of background for her is she trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and she received an honours diploma from there and she also s- received a special prize called the Kendall and Jenny Laird Prize. So she is the real deal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- this episode, you know... At- Right after I watched it, I I didn't look it up, unfortunately, but I, I immediately thought, like, okay, Jan Chapel, you know, probably has theater background because, you know, how she plays the high priestess and how that how that's different from her, you know, typical performance as mm-hmm. Callie is really impressive. I mean, even the bit where she's got her hand outstretched and she's just extending her fingers as far as she can. Now, that might seem like a very simple thing, but you've actually got to plan that as an actor. You, that doesn't just happen without thinking about it. And it looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I in, comparison, in comparison, Terrence's character has the most boring dream sequence bit, which is running down a corridor with a gun. Yep. <laughs> that's what happens to Terrence, and then Avon comes striding in like, what's up? <laughs> the boss is back in town. Let me just fix the problem. Well, first, Dana tries to come back in, and and she's told to throw her, her gun down and and stuff like that. And she sort of goes over to where Villa is. Tarrant as well. Yeah, the high priestess offers Tarrant, but she offers it again to Avon. Tarrant actually tries to sort of stand up against her, and she uses her zappy electricity powers or whatever. To you know, sort of put him in his place, and you know, I got to say, after um, after uh, what was it where Tarrant was really trying to uh, step into the Harvest of Kairos? Yeah, after Harvest of Kairos, it's kind of nice seeing Tarrant just get put in his place every week. <laughs> well, Tarrant, try- Tarrant tries to bitch slap her, and she just teleports away from him. So Tarrant's really shown as being quite weak in this episode. Right. I mean, he's been shown as weak ever since Harvest of Kairos, and even in Harvest of Kairos, it was always just posturing and gesticulating more than actual strength yeah true like uh i think keon brought this up the one week like if you're weak pretend you're strong and if you're strong pretend you're weak and dawn of the gods which is really interesting now that we get this a little more info with villa that we kind of already knew i also love that she uh she informs us all that the crew on the liberator are intelligent menials (laughs) yeah such a good phrase pretty much exactly how uh they're portrayed on screen but she makes this offer to Tarrant, like, oh, join me or die, is basically the <laughs> offer. Join me or die. Isn't that to Avon? Well, no, she says it to Tarrant because then Avon comes in and she's like, I'm sure you heard everything I told Tarrant. He's like, yeah, I was standing right outside the door. Of course I heard all of it. And she's oh. like, yeah, well, so what do you think? Join me or die? And he's like, kill me. <laughs> she's like, wait, what? And he's like, yep, just just kill me. Just right now. Just, just do it. She's like, I'll do it. I'll freaking do it, mate. You just watch me, mate. I'll kill you. And he's like, well, do it then. Just do it. 
And then he kisses and see, her. This is why you don't want to wear grey, because everyone in grey is on the floor in a heap. <laughs> yeah, everyone in grey was captured. Everyone in black survives. So. Just, just before we move on to this fantastic bit, I really like that we go from um, her talking about Villa having a high IQ, and it really fits with the idea that you've noted often that he's the voice of reason on the ch- on the show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the stuff he says isn't just silly things. It's actually often quite sensible. Right. Right, because he's actually really rather intelligent. He's just pretending to be dumb. <laughs> and now he gets the best moment in Blake 7 ever. <sighs> what, where Avon makes out with not Callie slash the high priestess? Oh, yeah. There, there's, oh, yeah. I think some of the um, mysticism that Jan Chapel, you know, uh, pointed to um, when she was talking about at least the the sort of script of this comes across in this scene really well because there's a wind blowing right you know and they're indoors they're in the liberator uh, but there's this wind from you know wherever but uh, yeah I I really like that right I didn't and notice. That, yeah no, I mean yeah that's why I kind of brought it up because I <laughs> didn't think you would notice or you are too but. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I, I drifted off for a sec. What were you saying? <laughs> I, was um, looking, I was looking through my notes. Sorry. No, about I, was, that. I just I wanted to bring up the uh, the wind because uh, that's in the oh, scene, yes. right? Because it's it's sort of a, a small touch. So I just wanted to I said I wanted to bring that up before uh, before we move on to the you know the the bulk of this scene, I guess. The bulk of the scene where <laughs> Avon makes out with the high priestess. Hello. I remember <laughs> we got an email at the beginning of the season that was like, "Get ready to play a game of who does Avon kiss this yeah, yeah. week." That, that was from me. That was from me. <laughs> that was from you. So, and so I remember far we it's <laughs> been Dana, and then have you done the episode where he kisses Serverland? I think you have. Yes. yes. Yep. So now it's uh, Kelly. So is there going to be any female cast member from now on that uh, Paul Darry doesn't get to snog? <sighs> Yeah, I remember when we read that email, we are like, well, he hasn't kissed anyone yet except for Serverland, so I guess we'll see. And then now it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, now I see. <laughs> see what you're talking about now. Yeah. Oh, Anna, I think. Does he actually kiss Anna? Like on the f- forehead or something like that, if I remember correctly? I don't I know. I guess. I don't actually remember if he kisses Anna. You know, I just watched that yesterday and I can't even remember myself. <laughs> I think I would have remembered if he had have given her a decent kiss. I don't think he did. Yeah, I don't think he did either. Anyway, it turns out this kiss, like every other kiss Avon has employed on the show, is just a <laughs> cunning ploy to get to his master plan, which is to slip the ring off of her fingers. Oh, is it just that, though? I don't know if it's just that. Well, Not based on the, the knowing at look the at the end of the story, I'm yeah, going to go with exactly. no. But in the, in the moment, I was just like, ah, Avon, you clever fox. <laughs> And this is my what would Blake do moment. Oh, this was my as well. Yeah, this wow. was mine too. <laughs> yeah, okay. so that's why I said it was quite an obvious... Okay, but wait, before uh, we go into this, I actually chose this one specifically because I thought you guys were going to choose one earlier in the story. Wow. Like, oh, Avon wouldn't even... Like, Blake wouldn't even let them go to the sarcophagus or whatever. Like, So I was like, well, I'll choose one later in the story because I figured <laughs> they won't choose that one. But it turns out we all just chose this one. So, you know, my thinking was completely off on that one. Well, you guys can go first, and I'll I'll go after you. I think it's going to be pretty much the same yeah, I think thing we across all the board. Have the same <laughs> thoughts on this is that Blake wouldn't employ this cunning strategy to to get the ring <laughs> off of her finger, or maybe even notice that the ring was the source of it all, really. So earlier, Avon says to Taryn that the last thing you should do is a headlong infantry charge. <laughs> So I think what Blake would do would be a headlong infantry charge. <laughs> well, Blake would have done I, what Avon would have done. Uh, a would have no. done. Sorry, I mean, and 
just been like, oh yeah, I'm I'm uh, strong and stuff. I'm gonna f- uh, just gesticulate here and bitch slap you in the face. <laughs> Originally, I thought Blake might have tried to grab the ring off Callie, but I changed my mind. I think he just pointed a gun at her and tried to force her to remove it. I think that's more Blake's style. And then she would have just yeah, blocked the gun like she did with Project hand. Avalon and stuff like that. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blake was um, more bark than well. Blake was always he more, was more bark than Avon uh, was at uh, least. Brawn and brains, I guess, is what I was actually going for. But here's the thing, also is, is remember, Blake can only kiss family members. So, oh, of course, <laughs> we forgot that. <laughs> you know, really, when you think about it, he couldn't do what Avon does. <laughs> Dylan's no. got his head in his hands. <laughs> Never going to let Blake or just the show in general live that down. <laughs> well, I don't think we really ever should let them live it down, you know. Uh, kind of like uh, how we shouldn't let them live it down. They made Blake out to also be a, a child molester in the first episode and then Im- immediately asked us to basically be sympathetic towards his character. Well, if you liked that, there is something coming up. <laughs> oh, boy. That will make you go, oh, that's even worse. Oh, brilliant. My favorite. <laughs> Um, just before we move on to uh, the High Priestess is talking about Avon and she says um, that Kelly has a stronger tie with Avon than the others and that, that she wouldn't kill him because she feels more for him. She says particularly Avon. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's um, that affection that Kelly feels for Avon that is also the reason why he's kissing her. Well, it is the reason why he survives because uh, moving ahead just a bit, but it's related. Uh, right after this, she, he slips the ring off and the high priestess dissolves. Villa's trying to understand everything going on or pretending to <laughs> un- try to understand. And he's like, so Avon banked on the fact that Callie liked him and that the ring was the power that what the high priestess was using to basically take over the ship. And he banked on the fact that because Callie liked him and because the high priestess was psychically linked to Callie, that he, she wouldn't be able to kill him. So he was able to get close enough to remove the ring. Do I have that right, Dana? <laughs> <laughs> and Dana's Kelly like, yeah, also, basically. Uh, Kelly can't tr- control Avon, they say, because he's stronger than the rest, which I also found interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also liked um, when Avon at one point says, I didn't hear any terms, just something about pets. All <laughs> oh, right, because she was like, oh, join me or die as you become my pet or I can kill you. When Avon's like, just kill me then. I but choose see, subtext, death. Subtext is now main text. Of course, uh, the high priestess lays on pretty thick that she wouldn't want to make Avon a slave. So it's it's main text. It's out there. Callie and Avon forever. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> and there's literally electricity building up everywhere as Kayvon gets closer to the high priestess too. So it's all right. sizzling. And then the ship well, catches electric. fire. Callie wakes up. It's all going on. It's all happening. It's all coming crashing down, and then the high priest is like, "No, don't let me die." Avon's like, "Oh yes, well, just die. I don't care." Oh, he throws the ring into the smoldering heap of one of the liberator consoles, and it blows up. And she's like, "No, right?" Because we didn't mention that the she's sort of blown up a lot of the stuff in the in the bridge, which is obviously explosions superimposed over footage of the console room because they're like, "We don't want to blow up the flight deck <laughs> for real yet." And what a great line, you look so beautiful when you're angry. Oh, yeah. I picked up on that line, too, as well, actually. Just a lot of interesting stuff going on here, really. 
again, Jan Chadwell does a gorgeous delivery again of a long speech, and we can feel the desperation of the character. She just wants to live. Mm-hmm. You know, as really most do. There's a lot of interesting stuff between life and death here. You know, once again, Avon dressed in all black coming and he kill he's the one who finally kills not Callie slash the priestess and how she was in this interim state between life and death and how she says for humans death is just the end. But you know, for my species, you don't die. There's, right away you can come back. There's also this thing here where as part of her sort of backstory, she is looking for another planet, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um so there's, there's something, like, almost ecological going on here, right? It's sort of at the fringes, like it kind of was in Harvest of Kairos, although maybe even more so here. Um, but, you know, I think there, it, it's, it's there to pick up on. I also love that Avon really throws salt in the wound here because the High Priestess has started all these fires on the Liberator, and he takes the ring and he throws it into the fire <laughs> caused by the High Priestess. It's like, he didn't have to do that, but he's sort of going, ha, sucker! <laughs> I'm going to make you destroy your own ring. And it, yeah, just really rubbing salt in the wound there. Yeah, kind of uh, causing her to, to be her own demise almost. And with the ring destroyed and the psychic link broken, she fades away into, I, I assume, permanent death. Did you like that effect or did you find it cheesy? I thought it was great. Yeah, I liked it, especially because you can almost see the sort of skeleton um, from before imposed right. uh, as she's fading. I really liked it. And this was, I think I was talking um, earlier in an email about how there's more horror coming out in the show in this kind of series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this season. And to me, that that's very um, the, the epitome there, that fade into that skeleton. It looks quite horrific. Right. Well, for the 80s, I mean, not, not <laughs> so much 80s. now. but And well, I, I think also the flash to Jan crying after um, – after all that, or Kelly crying um, is a nice touch because she's now alone again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's crying. Well, yeah, because the high priestess is just destroyed, so she's alone again. But I think that knowing look at the end, which comes right about now, actually, we are at the end of the story. Oh, uh, there's a little bit more. There's just a touch well, more. Yeah, there's the villa trying to understand what the hell's going on <laughs> with Dana, and then she's like, no, no. He or always wanted to is, kill Avon. Or is Villa just pretending to be stupid? He's. Probably at this point, I would say, yeah, probably. (laughs) But that knowing look between Callie and Avon at the end is like, okay, well, I'm not necessarily alone anymore. I've got Avon, at least. Right. And this, uh, as we mentioned already, has been a thread for a long time, right? Uh, In in Shadow, uh, I forget what that being was called or if it even was named. Um, It's sort of like rhetoric was, you know, you're alone um, because you can't psychically communicate with the Liberator crew on the level that you and I can do mm-hmm. yeah. and that's sort of that's almost that's she can that's going a, places here right yeah. with her forming this whatever it's it is with friendship with avon. Bond with avon i really hope that villa's grains gravestone just says incidental <laughs> that's really just, he's like oh that would make a great note on my gravestone incidental and I love um, Josette Simon's delivery of, well, then obviously it's the right answer with a little smirk. Oh, right. Yeah, because Villa's like, oh, that seems, t- uh, that doesn't seem right to me. And then she's like, well, then obviously it's the right answer. Nah. <laughs> and uh, answer me this. Why should Dana be used to revolting thoughts? Because Villa says, oh, you should be used to revolting thoughts. Why? Hmm. 
Who's having revolting – is she having revolting thoughts about people or Uh-oh. are other people having revolting <sighs> thoughts about her? Uh-oh. That's actually a good question. Is there's a little bit of ambiguity if he's referring to her having the revolting thoughts or uh, to other people having the thoughts about her and her just being used to that. Yeah, I'm trying to – I think – I don't necessarily – I don't remember like that line fully, but I, I think it was, you know, you should be used to being around people who have revolting thoughts. Like me and Tarrant. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, she says, what a revolting thought. And Villa says, well, you should be used to that. Yeah, I think that's uh, okay, how it goes. Okay, so yeah, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Which sounds a bit weird to me. And it's good to see we've got boys in the front, girls in the back. So, yeah, no, no boy zone in the back. Well. But the best part, the cheeky, lingering, meaningful looks between Avon and Kelly at the end, mm-hmm. resulting in a shy smile from her. The romance is real. But it never happens again. But so enjoy it. Enjoy it while it's here. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Not that bummer, but bummer. (laughs) I'm not surprised either. I'm not going to say that Blake 7 is a perfect track record bringing back things that they introduce. not going to say it has a bad track record doing it. I'm just not surprised that they don't bring it back. I mean, I'm a little bummed. You know, I, I typically hate romance in just about everything. But, you know, this is something that I think could work. This is something that I think I could get behind, but yeah, if it doesn't come back, like, uh, oh well. <laughs> well, it could work because it's been on the show actually for a while. They've been hinting at it very, very subtly. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, so if, if it worked, then Villa wouldn't be able to kiss other people. So, you know. Oh, that's true. You'd, you'd have to stop playing the Who Does Who's oh, sorry, Avon? Avon, I meant. Who Does Avon Kiss This Week? You'd have to stop playing it, so. Ah, damn, you're right. Yeah. It's not acceptable, really. It's unacceptable, that. Let's see, I don't so, actually have much else to talk about for this story. Well, did you fellas really like this story or not? I enjoyed oh, yeah. it. Yeah, I, abso- I absolutely liked it. I don't know. I wouldn't, I think, put it in my top five. It's it's up there for me. It's up there, definitely. I just think it was good. Not super great, not terrible, just good. I mean, I liked it. I, I think... I, um, there are stories that I think are better, though. I, you know, I, I don't think... You know, you normally wouldn't hear me saying this, but I think the special effects actually did bring it down a bit. Hmm. And normally I'm pretty pro special pro, effects. Pro special effects on Blake Seven, even you know when they're you know obviously low budget. I think most of the show looks great. Um, this one, not as much as other episodes, like we mentioned, like we touched on at the beginning of this episode. You know, I think if they did this now, they could make it look so much better. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because they could use a lot more CGI and things like that on the sarcophagus. And I think the fading in and out of the people going from their sarcophagus characters to their um, liberator characters, I think, would be done a lot better now. I agree. I agree. But but I did like it a lot. Now, I've got to say I'm a Kelly fangirl, so, you know, that was always going to happen. But one of the things I like besides that was all the characters actually get great lines in this and they all get stuff to do. And you get a different insight into Villa being intelligent, Tarrant being a prat. I mean, we already kind of knew that, but that gets cemented. <laughs> and you get that insight into Avon and Callie and their relationship. Probably Dana's the one you get the least insight into, but she still has a big part to play. And I think a lot of the reason why all this happens is because Orak and Zen actually take a back seat. Yeah. 
They definitely so do. I mean, they put Orac out of commission completely. We forgot to mention when he says disconnect and the egg melts, Orac goes completely out of commission. He doesn't work anymore uh, till the end of the story where he gets fixed. Same with Zen. When he says that someone's on board, he goes completely out of commission and we never hear from them again until the end of the story. And this is definitely yeah, so a story that I think was focused on Callie, but does a good job of giving everybody their time in the sun. Maybe Dana a little less so. Which is, that's something we've always, you know, looked at as, you know, Something we we want more of on the show, so things like this, things like Dawn of the Gods, and and uh, things like Shadow, which interestingly all have Callie as that sort of central character. But you know, we said we wanted episodes that have sort of a central character almost, and then the rest of them have enough to do, but are right. Uh, I don't know what the term aren't supporting. Shafted. Yeah, aren't shafted, but are more supporting in that episode. And I think Callie has actually gotten really three really good episodes where that's been the case. Right. Yeah. But I, to, I think this is top shelf Blake Seven to me. I I would easily put this, even not from a Kelly loving perspective, I would put this in my top ten mm. very easily. Wow. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably I put this in my top ten. Obviously, not finished with the show, and I, I don't even really care for top ten lists. I think five is sort of my maximum before things feel a bit arbitrary to me. But yeah, I'd probably yeah I might put this in my top five. I don't. I haven't really made a top five list or tried to. I, I think the thing with the episode is it engaged me. So if something engages me, I think then it, I've enjoyed it and I've, I've really settled into it. And that's this episode kept me guessing a bit and showed a little bit of characters, like a few different things. So, yeah, I, I was really just into it. Yep, definitely. And, and um, I want to also touch on this is that um, we talk about Callie being a central character in this episode. And this episode almost has this like – I don't know if I want to call it this, but I will anyway. This, uh, <laughs> as I always do, this it almost feels like modernist, right? There's this character who's so central to the story, who the story's really all about in some ways, but she's in a coma, or she's like she's not there, she's on the fringes, she's in a coma for the entire thing almost, or not the entire thing, about half of it. And yeah, how that's done is actually like really effective, right? This there's so much we sort of learn about Callie in this episode. Uh, it's really it's her story yet she's out of commission for almost half of it. Yeah. It's interesting that she's out of commission, but it is her episode really because I think because we have this being that takes on her form and shape and her mind and her thoughts, not her thoughts necessarily, but does integrate her thoughts in some way into her. And that's what really leads it to being a Callie story is that even though Callie is doing the Gan thing, he's in another room knocked out. She's still the main character. She's still the driving force behind the plot. Right. Well, the High Priestess keeps talking about Kelly all the time too. Right. So we actually learn quite a lot about Kelly from the High Priestess. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we I've, can trust also it. Found it I found it interesting earlier too that Villain knows that Kelly wouldn't let the High Priestess kill Avon. Mm-hmm. And I, so it must be starting to become apparent to the crew that Kelly has feelings for Avon. Yeah, it must be... Apparent enough. Or, or maybe Villa's slipping. You know, he's supposedly, now I guess we learn the, the smartest one among them, and he's he's, he's doing a, a worse job now of keeping that hidden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do I, I do really like, too, that he said, um, but that means Kelly sat back while it had to go at the rest of us. I've always liked Kelly. So that's like, I've always liked <laughs> Kelly because <laughs> she was willing to sacrifice us. Yeah, well, Villa turns out you uh, turns out your bottom of the barrel, Villa. <laughs> You're just gonna get sacrificed. Dana too, Tarrant as well. All of them are just uh, sacrificial lambs, so to speak. Sacrificable. It's not a word, but we're gonna make it a word now. 
They're, they're intelligent menials, remember? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have um, much else to say about the story, actually. Yeah, I think that's all I have. You have anything else to say, RG? I'm all done. Oh, um, oh uh, I wanted to uh, ask, and I guess now this is, is a good this time. This is a good since, time. Um, do you remember what was the first episode of Blake 7 that you watched? I, you might have told us in an email, but I can't 100% remember. I remember it very well. Now, can I remember the name of it? Ultra World. Ultra, okay, that's, that's in next. A couple that's, that's next. Weeks? Is that next? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I found it quite disturbing um, at the time because I was quite young. Uh, and then the next week after that was. Um, oh, you guys haven't seen this yet, though, have you? No. No. Nah. No, I won't go on about it then. But um, yeah, there were there were two episodes in a row, and I went, "Oh, this show's just so dark." Uh, and then I really got into it. But I started to watch again. Uh, it it was weird. I started to watch again then from series C, and then I went back and watched series A and B. It was it was all over the shop. Um, it's like the way I watched Doctor Who. But, yeah. I watched series four, and then I watched series five, six, and seven, and then I watched series one, two, and three. <laughs> but you can with these shows. You can sort of jump in and out because mm-hmm. although they have arcs they also are very single episode focused mm-hmm. so right. i think you can do that um, i agree but yeah i i loved it um when i got into it it was like nothing i'd seen on tv oh and did you guys know you can actually buy blake seven guns and bracelets Great. Um, i've looked at some of that stuff um a lot of it is i would have to import because again we are in the u.s yeah. and a lot of it is you know pretty expensive uh even disregarding import prices and stuff like that. But, I mean, a lot of it does look really cool. I've actually watched the the Blue Peter segment. To, oh, yes, you know, that's right. <laughs> the, <Yeah>. one with, <laughs> the one with Sally Nevette. No, it's... Not Sally Nevette. It, uh, it's the Blue Peter host who kind of lo- maybe looks like Sally Nevette from a distance. But She tells you how to make the bracelet. Right. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to do that one of these days, and I haven't gotten around to it. But So do day. you know that they actually used some of the that way that Blue Peter said to actually make some bracelets. Yeah. Uh, I'm not Keon, surprised. Keon theorized that that was the case back when he watched it. He was like, you know, I think they might have actually used this method on the show. So, you know, yeah. it's not surprising to hear that, actually. It's uh, not shocking at all. Especially when you hear things about, like, oh, they made the Federation Trooper outfit. You know, they just went to the store and bought a black pair of pants and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> But the, the opening I remember most for Blake 7 is the Series 4 opening because I think that's the one I started to watch it the most. I was sort of on and off with episodes, um, but I watched that entire series. So I was really excited re-watching it. Um, little bits and pieces I remembered, and th- there's some characters coming up I remembered coming in. But um, when that opening happened, I just went, oh, this is Blake 7. It feels like Blake 7. So, yeah, it brought back those teenager type of feelings. Mm-hmm. It's quite fun. Yeah, well, yeah. that's exciting. I'd say you could join us to respond to an email, but we don't have any uh, to, oh, to respond to. Did Sergeant Drano not send one through? That's disappointing. Well, it hasn't come through now. He emailed us like a month in advance, all the way up to rumors of death, and then and then uh, that was that was as far as he got. Oh, and I need to apologize because I completely wrecked Gambit for you. I, I tried to time my email and I built up the bar fight scene too much. Um, when my point was that they actually went on for a lot longer, but it got trimmed way down. So, yeah, I completely wrecked that episode for you. I, I apologize for that. No, that's okay. We've been no. chewed out for not liking the bar fight by some other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, other but, people actually liked the bar fight, did they? Yeah, apparently. On Twitter, yes. Yeah, on Twitter we've been... Uh, 
they've torn into us. They're like, you didn't like the bar fight. This is unacceptable. <laughs> and we were like, because ah, <laughs> it was quite shocking at the time to see, um, you know, Kelly throw a drink in Jenna's face. It was actually quite a big thing. Yeah. But I if mean, you didn't like it, that's cool. No, I think, I think it was just if underwhelming. I co- if I remember correctly, I think the part we didn't like about it was how it was all a big act. Oh yeah. Um, but I don't oh, remember. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember fully. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. But no, you, you didn't wreck it for us. No, I also feel like we were just underwhelmed because we were like, man, they could have done a lot more with this. Was what I think we were like. They could have done it more. Yeah. Actually, if memory um, serves, we were actually called out for not liking Gambit as a whole. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I called you out. Um, no, not, not no, you. just in general. Someone just, else a, a called us out people. for not liking Gambit. No, yeah, not, there, not you. There, not is you. A, there is a bit of a thing that people go, oh, this, this episode's beloved, this episode isn't. Um, yeah, well, and, screw yeah. fan perceptions. <laughs> we make our own determinations on this show. Harvest of Chaos is a good episode. Can, the one thing we can all agree on is that Volcano sucks. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Volcano was And that part. was interesting, too, because you were just asking me what I thought about... Taryn and Dana going mm-hmm. down. Um, so I think I made it seem like I loved that episode, which I didn't. I was just saying that I didn't. Th- I actually enjoyed th- both of those going down together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you wanted you wanted to know because I started to watch around series C. You mm-hmm. wanted to know if I found that was a bit silly because it was the two new people. Right. Because I had this theory that because they were the two new people, like if you, you were just first watching there, you wouldn't have a problem with it. But because we were watching and we already knew all the other people, we didn't know those two, that it was a detriment. Yeah, you, it you, didn't feel weird to me that they both went down. Hmm. But then even, Dylan, even when you went back and watched it, you were like, yeah, there's there's more going on here than we picked up on. And, you know, it's pretty, yeah. pretty good. Or at least some of the interactions are, are worthwhile. Yeah. Some of them, not all of them. I still, like I said, even when I went back, I still thought it was a mistake. But I think the idea of the episode was better than the episode itself. Probably, mm. I'll grant so, you know, that. The ideas like the fact that Dana you know, has contact with um, her father's friends, and you know, we learn a little bit about Tarrant being a, a pilot, and just the the planet itself, the way it operates, that it's a peaceful planet because it can threaten everyone by blowing itself up. Those kind of those kind of things are interesting, I think. But the actual execution wasn't. And I I wrote you an email in um, in the email. I said the father and the son were really crap actors, mm. and I think mm. that affected things really badly. Um, yeah, they were. Whereas, especially whereas this episode, like... I mean, sarcophagus, you've got a, a crack crack team of actors here. Well, we didn't have any guest actors in this, and none of them were credited anyway. No. The people at the beginning, but they were all wearing masks and they didn't have any lines, so it didn't really matter. I mean, just that Simon also has ended up with an OBE, um, and she's acting as um, Cleopatra in um, Royal Shakespeare Company at the moment. Mm. So she's been really in the forefront of colorblind casting and stuff like that. I mean, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I didn't realize she was in Broadchurch because I always had this. Like, oh, man, yeah. I recognize her, but I don't know where from. And then when I realized she was in Broadchurch, it's like, oh, I'm an idiot. She actually See, has... I had the opposite. Sorry, sorry. No, no, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I had the opposite way around. So I saw her in Broadchurch and I went, where do I know that actor from? And then I looked, I thought, oh, she looks like Josette Simon. And then, yeah, so. Yeah. She actually has, I was looking up her IMDb page, um, and I don't remember exactly what these are, but she has, you know, a few pretty big recent credits, so she's still definitely mm-hmm. in the business. In the business. In the business, we say. 
She's fantastic. Uh, I'd say she's my second favourite character on Blake 7. After Callie. Oh, uh, um, speaking After of Callie. Gisette Simon, a couple of weeks ago, we, or I think actually just I said, Gisette Simon definitely isn't a teenager, even though Dana is supposed to be. She's actually 20 when this is right. um, all being done. Hmm. Um, so she's, you know, fairly close at least to being a teenager. Younger well, you could still call so. someone a girl if they're 20. Right. Oh, right, because yeah, that's what it was. She called her Back in those girl. days, back in those days, it, w- it was very much seen that you were an adult when you were 21. Mm-hmm. You had big 21 parties and, you know, you got the key to life and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So, yeah, she could be regarded as a girl in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's still, I think, at least somewhat the case. 21 yeah. is like a big age. 21 is still a big thing because that's when you can drink, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, because we can do it at 18. You can do it at 18 in South Africa, too. So oh. it went backwards. All the major... No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, I was... Um, I got married at 21, went to the US, and I went to buy some alcohol, and they wanted to see ID, and I went, why do I look 18? And then I, someone said, oh, no, you have to be 21. I was like, what? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. But I you can drive younger, I think, in the US. I a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I dream of the days when I'll be carded. Those days are great. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, uh, do you have anything, any content online that you'd like to plug for yourself right now before we close out the episode? No, I'm just a dumb old broad sitting at home, <laughs> nothing. Listening, listening to Zenith. Yeah, don't undersell yourself. I, I, I think that's a great achievement to be a, a Zenith follower. Uh, you joined a legion of approximately 100 people. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't call myself a dumb old broad. I'm not a dumb old broad. I'm just a, just a, yeah. yeah I was going to say, don't just sell yourself. I'm a, I'm a fine Australian Sheila. Okay, yes, we will go with that. <laughs> I like that one. If you would like to email us, you can find us at thedoctoratedecorativevegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on not Callie slash the high priestess slash Jan Chapel's acting, as we've just found out, it's actually pronounced Jan Chapel because RG was like, it's pronounced Jan Chapel before we started recording, even though we've been saying Jan Chappelle for the past, like, half a Nine year. Months. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zen at the Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. And also a big, big thank you to RG for joining us today. We really enjoyed it. I know, well, I won't speak for Keon. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did as well. Um, really fun. Thank you. You're welcome. And you can check us out on Facebook, Trust Your Doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Ultra World. But until then, the end. 